welcome to episode two of the Radio Gaga podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here again. I'm your host, Justine Pajowski, and today we are talking about Taylor Swift's 2017 album, Reputation. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who's reached out to me about episode one. It seriously, it means so much to me that my passion for music and for learning about myself as a music fan and diving in on these albums resonates with somebody else too. It makes me feel so happy and I'm really having a blast putting this together for you guys. All right, let's get into the music. Before we get too far in, I do want to mention a couple of my main sources for this episode. I pulled a lot of my research from Vogue magazine, Rolling Stone, the secret sessions from the iHeartRadio reputation release that was last year, and CMT, Country Music Television. So let's get into a little background on Taylor Swift. Taylor was born and raised in Pennsylvania. Her parents were extremely supportive, and after Taylor became interested in musical theater at a really young age, her parents would travel with her up to New York to take voice and acting lessons. And at a young age, Taylor was really inspired by country stars like Shania Twain, Dolly Parton, and the Dixie Chicks. Because of this inspiration, she decided her path was in country music. Taylor and her mom visited Nashville after Taylor watched a TV show about Faith Hill. The show said that Hill went to Nashville, and that's how she made it in country music. So Taylor knew she had to do the same. On their spring break trip when Taylor was just 11... They went up and down Music Row in Nashville to record companies with a demo CD of Taylor singing karaoke covers of Leanne Rimes and Dolly Parton songs. She eventually realized that this was the same exact thing everyone else was doing, trying to make it in Nashville, so she knew she needed a way to stand out. It was at that point that Taylor started playing guitar and dabbling in songwriting. At the time, which was the early 2000s at this point, Country music just wasn't looking for young stars. The genre's main listener demographic was women in their mid-30s, a demographic that just wouldn't relate to a young star like Taylor. But she didn't give up. Swift wrote songs, played guitar for hours every day, and used the next year to play her guitar anywhere and everywhere she could. She would take her guitar and portable amplifier to coffee houses, meeting halls, Boy Scout troop meetings, anywhere she was allowed to play. The following year, when Taylor was 12, she and her family went back every few months to Nashville to try again. She was playing her songs for record executives, songwriters, anyone she could get a meeting with just to try and get her foot in the door. When she was 13, Taylor finally secured a meeting with RCA Records and played them about 20 of her songs. They ended up signing her to a development deal which is not a full-on record deal. RCA wouldn't be making an album with Swift right away. Instead, they would pay for her demos and sponsor her over the course of a year to see how she grew as an artist. After that point, they could decide to keep developing Taylor's career or just drop her completely. That deal, although it never yielded a record, did give her the muscle she needed to secure a publishing contract with industry giant Sony when she was only 14. That was the same year the Swift family would move permanently to Nashville. The following year was when she would connect with the record label that would be home to every album she would put out, Big Machine Records. Big Machine has been home to hit albums by many country artists, including Garth Brooks, Reba McIntyre, Rascal Flatts, Tim McGraw, and Trisha Yearwood. The music life in Nashville was a whirlwind for Taylor at the young age of 15, but she still kept a 4.0 grade point average in public school. This was where she would pull most of the inspiration for her earliest songs, namely the ones that would be on her debut self-titled album in 2006. With her debut album, Swift tapped into a previously untapped market, teenage girls who listened to country music. Over the course of 2006 and 2007, her singles Tim McGraw, Should Have Said No, Our Song, Picture to Burn, and Teardrops on My Guitar would propel her to the top of the Billboard Hot Country charts.
Swift cleaned up at the CMA Awards in 2007, winning Best New Artist and Top New Female Vocalist. She was also nominated for Best New Artist at the 2008 Grammy Awards, but she lost to Amy Winehouse. Swift's second album, Fearless, released in 2008, and it was even more awards and acclaim for the 18-year-old. And it was the acceptance speech for the music video for You Belong With Me at the 2009 MTV Video Music Awards that would begin the bad blood between Taylor Swift and Kanye West. West interrupted Swift's acceptance speech by coming up on stage and saying he believed Beyonce should have won for the single ladies video. The crowd booed him off stage, but it set off a chain of events that would lead all the way up to 2017's reputation. We'll get into that later in the episode. Regardless, Fearless would go on to become the United States' best-selling album in 2009. The album won four Grammy Awards, with Swift becoming the youngest Album of the Year winner ever. Next up would be hit banjo core record Speak Now in 2010, which debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, and for which Taylor won two Grammys, two AMA Awards, Artist of the Year from the Nashville Songwriters Association, Billboard's Woman of the Year, and Entertainer of the Year by the Academy of Country Music. For the first time, you made a rebel of a careless man's careful daughter. You are the best thing that's ever been It was her fourth studio album, Red, in 2012, that would begin Taylor's slow shift from country music to a much more lucrative career in pop. The album was home to hits including Everything Has Changed, 22, and I knew you were trouble. I knew you were trouble when you walked in. So shame on me now. me to places and never been. At the same time Red was opening the door to more dance pop and dubstep influences, it was slowly closing the chapter on Taylor's country music career. She moved to New York in 2014 and began working on what many consider her best work, 1989. It would be Taylor's first official pop album and the pinnacle of her songwriting and celebrity. She won three Grammys for 1989, including Album of the Year. It was that time between Red and 1989 that Taylor Swift the songwriter and Taylor Swift the celebrity started feeling like different people. She was still doing plenty of songwriting, but the guitar playing seemed to go away. She became intertwined in multiple relationships over the years with celebrities, including John Mayer, Jake Gyllenhaal, Zac Efron, Harry Styles, and more recently, Calvin Harris and Tom Hiddleston. Because of this, she was in the tabloids a lot. She also found quite a bit of inspiration from these failed relationships, with nearly every one of them resulting in a hit song. A joke became, if you date Taylor Swift, don't break her heart unless you want to be the topic of her next single. I am absolutely not shaming her for this. She's in her 20s. She's finding out how to navigate romantic relationships just like the rest of us are. It's just the fact that we could all follow every move that makes it all just seem so scandalous. Which brings us to reputation. There were three years between the release of 1989 and the release of Reputation in 2017. Within that time, she met the little-known British actor Joe Alwyn, who we'll get into later. But at the same time, Swift became a self-made magnet for celebrity feud storylines, throwing shade at Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Katy Perry, and Nicki Minaj. I guess you could say, at this point, her reputation's never been worse. So let's dive a little deeper into the making of reputation and all the juicy drama that comes with it with my friend, Ryan Young. (laughs) 
All right. I'm delighted to welcome Ryan Young to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Ryan and I have played in a band together for a couple years now. He's one of my good friends and literally probably the biggest Taylor Swift fan I have ever met in my whole life. So you you are not the first person to say that. Um, <laughs> I don't doubt that. I I so just to give a little background, I am a 28 year old man who has had multiple Taylor Swift themed birthday cakes in my lifetime. Um, that kind of tells you probably everything that you need to know about me <laughs> as a person. Um, but yeah, I uh, yeah, I love Taylor Swift, and I'm very excited to be talking about reputation today. So let's let's just start out. I think one of the main things that you and I have talked about reputation-wise in the past is both the production of the album and the controversies surrounding the album. So mm -hmm. it's up to you which one you want to talk about first, but I definitely want to talk about both of those things. Yeah, I think that those are those are the two things that kind of frame reputation the most in my mind. And you know, I don't I don't hate this album, but I also don't love it. And I love pretty much everything Taylor Swift does. So <laughs> it's, you know, it, I have I have a lot of complicated feelings about reputation. Um, and I think, yeah, a good place to start unpacking all of them is with the uh, with this whole sort of Kanye inspired controversy surrounding them. So wanna, can you can you give us kind of a background on Abs that? Absolutely. We know where it started. So Kanye stepping up during the MTV Video Music Awards. I think yes. that was 2009. Two, yeah, I, yeah, I remember where I was. <laughs> <laughs> where were you? Dude, I was I was in my college dorm room, ninth ninth floor of Bromley Hall at Ohio University. Wow. Yeah. I think I think I still remember the Facebook post that I made that Aww, night. Aw, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> do, we, do you remember Facebook? I do. <laughs> so Kanye West steps up during Taylor Swift's acceptance speech during the Video Music Awards in 2009 and says that he believed that Beyonce should have won, not Taylor. Very shocking. Taylor cries backstage. Kanye gets booed off stage. He, you know, he had to be escorted out. Had of... to be escorted out? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> so that's where it kind of began. So if you could maybe take us through the rest of it. So after the VMAs, yeah, there's that. There's the immediate backlash. Kanye posted an apology note on his blog. I don't know. Have, have you read this? I haven't. Oh, no. Well, I, I, I came prepared with notes. Allow oh, me to read a quote from Please. Kanye's <laughs> apology letter. And it might be one of my favorite quotes of all time. Quote, I feel like Ben Stiller in Meet the Parents when he messed up everything and Robert De Niro asked him to leave. That was Taylor's moment and I had no right in any way to take it from her. I am truly sorry. I am so sorry to Taylor Swift and her fans and her mom. I spoke to her mother right after and she said the same thing my mother would have said. She is very talented. I feel like the lyrics about being a cheerleader and she's in the, in the bleachers. I swear I didn't like copy this wrong. This is just how this is written. I'm in the wrong for going on stage and taking away from her moment. Okay. Yeah. I think I heard a sorry in there. <laughs> yeah, no. He he it, it's weird cuz the the saying I'm I'm so sorry with like 17 O's. Is that really how many there are? No, not quite. There's like eight. That's a lot. So. That's a lot of O's, but it, it kind of makes it seem a little disingenuous. A little. Just, <laughs> I'm so sorry I ruined your award. So I'm this... so sorry that Beyonce recorded a better video than you. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of what it sounds like. But you know, I, I think I think it was actually heartfelt, and I, you know, as heartfelt as Kanye wants to be or can be in that situation, and he like went on a couple of talk shows and mentioned the moment again and like re-apologized in a you know national setting and stuff and. I, I guess the Taylor and Kanye exchanged like passing notes or like their camps exchanged notes or something. And it seemed like everyone had kind of buried the hatchet a little bit. So yeah, cut to 2010. And at the very next VMAs, Taylor Swift debuts the song Innocent, which is sort of a letter to Kanye. It's, you know, kind of like an acceptance of his apology. Um, the whole gist of the song is that 
you know, there's still good in this person that has wronged Taylor Swift. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's it's very sweet. It's, you know, it's very much her sort of, like, public-facing acceptance of Kanye's apology. And it's kind of a nice moment. And then after that, fast cut up to 2015, and, you know, nothing's really happened, and there hasn't really been a lot of, you know, interaction between Taylor and Kanye. And I think more or less everybody's sort of, like, people remember what happened at the VMAs, but nobody's really, like, talking about it or anything. But Taylor Swift happens to, you know, as one does when you're a world-famous mega star like she is, becomes friends with Jay-Z. So Taylor, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye, and Kim Kardashian, they're all, like, hanging out, and they're, like, seen together at, like, you know, the Met Gala and stuff like that. What a crew. Yeah, you know, they're taking pictures and posting them on Instagram and stuff, you know, and it all seems very, very, you know, collegial. And you said this is 2015? 2015. Okay. So, in 2016, Kanye drops his next album, Life of Pablo, and that's when shit really hits the fan. So there's the song Famous on Life of Pablo, and that contains the lyric that sort of sparks the dynamite that sets, you know, everything back in motion again. Um, And it's a reference to the 2009 VMAs, and the line is... that know me best I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex why I made that bitch famous God damn. I made that bitch famous for all the girls Ooh. so yeah you can see there's there's obviously a little bit of a push from Kanye there you know he's kind of like I vaguely reawakening the beast I vaguely remember this happening but I don't really remember what happens after this so the next the next scene in our tableau, if you will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> it cut to the Grammys, and Taylor makes a very impassioned acceptance speech where she had just won, um, I think it was Album of the Year for 1989. She had just become the first woman to win two Grammys for Album of the Year um, for separate albums. And I'll quote her speech here, so... And as the first woman to win Album of the Year at the Grammys twice, I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. But if you just focus on the work and you don't let those people sidetrack you, someday when you get where you're going, you'll look around and you will know that it was you and the people who love you who put you there. And that will be the greatest feeling in the world. Thank you. So, obviously, a direct reference to the whole Kanye taking credit, you know, air quotes, taking credit for her fame, which I don't know how you feel about it but like to me it seems very much like that line like I don't think anybody really thinks that Kanye's moment at the VMAs in 2009 made Taylor famous that's kind of what I don't get is why she just didn't like shake it off you know what I mean (laughs) why didn't she just ignore that thank you (laughs) I think she was well a A dupe of her was in the music video, correct? Yes. And so that happens after the speech. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the famous music video does not come out at the same time as the famous song. And the music video, it's... It's hard to describe. It's... um, If you haven't seen it, go take a look. But also don't watch it at your office. Because it is... Oh, not safe for work. It is a little NSF dub. But it's... I think it's a, like, plastic or wax Madame Tussauds facsimile of Kanye, Taylor Swift, Donald Trump. I think Rihanna's in there. Um, There's maybe 15 different celebrities, and they're all in a, like, weird giant bed heaven thing, and they're all naked, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's very graphic, and you can see things. I mean, it's not, like, graphic. They're not, like, positioned (laughs) <laughs> in ways they're just laying there it's an obvious 
commentary on the idea of celebrity. Yes. And an obvious dig at Taylor. Yes. Let's recap all of this really quick. 2009, Kanye jumps up on stage, interrupts Taylor's acceptance speech. They get past it. 2015. 15. They're kind of like BFFs. They're best friends, partying with Jay-Z, taking pictures, posting them on Instagram. 2016, Kanye West's song Famous comes out. 2016, same year, Taylor makes her impassioned speech at the Grammys. And then right after that, Kanye's video for Famous comes out. Right. This is all a year, 2016, a year before Reputation comes out. Yeah, roughly a year and a half before Reputation comes out. Okay. And so the next thing is kind of like the biggest bombshell, if you will. Right around the same time that the famous music video comes out, Kim Kardashian releases this recording where Kanye calls Taylor and divulged the contents of the song Famous, told her about the offending line. Oh, the one about I made that bitch famous? Yes. This is a real phone conversation. Real phone conversation. And Taylor is heard to be saying like, oh yeah, I get that. Like, it's clearly a a joke. You know, thanks for asking my permission. Oh, the plot thickens. It's... I don't know, it's this, like, weird moment where, like, Taylor got caught in a lie, but also, like, that's really weird to be, like, videotaping your phone conversations with your supposed friends, and I don't know, it's just, like, I don't think anybody comes out as a winner in the end, I think everybody just looks sort of childish and stupid. So then at this point, Taylor is about ready to record this next album. Yes. So she takes this inspiration. Yes, which also includes her immediate response to the phone conversation. That was her whole, like, I just want to be left out of this narrative line. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. She's like, I didn't ask to be part of this narrative since 2009 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then, okay, she starts working on Reputation. She's all fired up. She's fueled up. She's ready to record. Yes. Let's talk about the production of Reputation, how she wrote the songs that she wrote, what else was happening at the time, and how this all came to be. So I think Swift is credited as an executive producer on Reputation, correct? I believe that is correct. I think it's her, Max Martin, Shellback, uh, Jack Antonoff of Bleacher's fame. And fun. (laughs) And fun, yes. Mm -hmm. Accomplished musician and producers, all of them. Taylor Swift's always had a big hand and she, you know, writes or co-writes all of her own music. And I think she does the same thing with the production, at least on all of her new albums. I know she was also um, a co-producer on 1989. Mm -hmm. You you were telling me before we started recording that one of your biggest hangups with Reputation is the production of it. This is true. There's a little bit of, it's, it's almost like a tie-in with the production values and a lot of the song subjects of Reputation. They both have this feeling of disingenuineness to me. I don't know, it's, it's something that I've never really experienced with Taylor Swift's music because I've always found her to be like a very honest musician. I mean, it's almost like they they just, you know, had, they were, like, all sitting around in a room, and they, like, were like, oh, what if we took, like, the hi-hats hitting on the, you know, 16th notes and trap music, and then we, like, put that in a blender with, like, the big synth chords and swells from Lord's album, and then we just, like, meshed them all up, and it was just sort of, like corporate music production like this is what the kids are listening to now well i have to say some of the songs like toward the beginning and we'll go through a track by track analysis here in a second but some of the songs especially at the beginning like ready for it and i did something bad they kind of sound like they kind of feel like they are from like a movie trailer yeah ready (laughs) ready for it especially i don't know if you remember how that one was released to the public but it was like in conjunction with ABC's college football rollout for the year. Oh, I didn't know that. So, like, the first place that anybody heard it was in commercials for ABC's, like, Saturday Night College Football. No, he was a killer. First time that I saw him. Wonder how many girls he had left and left haunted. But if he's a ghost, then I can be a fan. 
so ready for it. I was listening to the album earlier today, and I was walking my two dogs. And for anybody who's never met my dogs, they are both under 20 pounds. They're just like tiny and small and sweet. They are uh, really good on walks, and I was walking them both down the sidewalk this morning. And I had Reputation playing in my earphones, and I was listening to Ready For It. Listening to that song, I was walking my dogs feeling like they were like, Siberian tigers and I was like this enchantress and like a tight black like leotard thing just like walking down the sidewalk and I felt like wait I what am I what am I doing like why like it definitely put me in the mode of like being in a movie or like being in a position of power but it feels awkward though at the same time like I don't know I like awkward for you or awkward for Taylor awkward for me because I just felt like, man, like I, I'm feeling good about walking my dogs. And I was like, oh wait, they're not like ravenous wolves. <laughs> I, I think, I think if, you know, Taylor Swift heard you say that, she would be like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, um, I, what I, I, I will say that the song I think contains one of the like top 10 Taylor Swift lines of all time. Really? Oh yeah. What and, is that? And the chorus when it goes, quote, in the middle of the night. In my dreams, you should see the things we do, baby. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> damn, that's good songwriting. That's great that's, songwriting. That's I will sexy, give her that. That's for evocative. Sure. It's catchy. And man, it's just like, yeah. that that's you know that's something that this album explores more is her like kind of taking power of her own sexuality which is you know a pretty cool thing to see because she's sort of you know always played into that good girl sort of you know very polished public persona so it's nice to see her bringing down the veil a little bit more and yeah. sort of owning her own sexuality in that way which is a theme that's continued throughout the album as a whole which is pretty cool I like I kind of like how she starts this album off even though I don't I don't really like the next song so let's get into Endgame Endgame might low-key be the worst song on this album. I do not like this song. It's, it's not a good song. I don't <laughs> like Ed Sheeran. Like, I have a big problem with Ed Sheeran. Oh, really? Yeah. Just as a whole? Like, yeah. Like, his own like, solo? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, I, think, I think Ed Sheeran is a fine musician. I don't listen to him. I don't, like, go out of my way to play him on Spotify or anything. But, like, when his songs come on the radio, like... I don't know. I think he, I think he like he has a good voice and he like very much knows how to write a pop song and like But I would prefer for Ed Sheeran instead of talking about his bed sheets smelling like somebody and like shapes of girls bodies, I would much rather for Ed Sheeran be like asexual. Like I can't This is not an Ed Sheeran podcast, so let's not stay on this too long, but I just I don't know. I think he, we, I think we he could bugs get in, me. I'm sorry. I think we could get into an entire podcast about Ed Sheeran. We might need to. We might need to. Let's put that on the editorial calendar. Also dibs on the band name Asexual Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Hello, we're Asexual Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and this is Shape of You. <laughs> um, one of the lines, one of the worst lines I think on this album, and I think like you said earlier, she is an ex she is an excellent songwriter. Yes. But lines like I swear I don't love the drama, it loves me, yeah. just make me cringe. Oh, I'm like, I agree. I just, <laughs> It's like a modern axiom, if you will, that like if you have to say like, oh, I hate drama, it's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. I think like you might actually like it because people that actually hate drama like aren't always talking about drama. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about I Did Something Bad, which is the third track on... Reputation. Yes. So 
I read something about how this song came to Taylor in a dream. Really? Mm-hmm. So I was always under the impression that this was about her cheating on one of her past lovers, be it Calvin Harris or um, the British one. <laughs> What's the... Tom Hiddleston? Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> On, on Loki. <laughs> Which, wait, yeah, cheating on Loki. Oh, poor Loki. Yeah. I mean, he's a trickster. He's going to find out. He is a trickster. <laughs> I think, though, it could be both. I think it did. I think. Do you think it actually happened? Does it matter if it actually happened? Um, you know what? It's, it might not be about a relationship. It might be about the situation with Kanye. Like, I did something bad. They're burning all the witches, if, even if you aren't one. You know, there are, like, de- there are definitely a lot of songs on this album about the whole Kanye situation. I don't know if I did something bad as one of them, though. Okay. I've, I've never really <clears throat> read it as that, but, I mean, I very well could be wrong. So also, and I did something bad, she drops her first real bad word. Wow. Shit. If a man talks shit, then I owe him nothing. So she's actually said yeah. damn before and, okay. like, ass. But those she are words before. But those are not like those are words four- you can say on network TV. Yes, she's <laughs> never used like like a whoa like four letter word that has to be bleeped out on radio. Wow. Yeah, that's the first one. What a moment. Growing up. Our, yeah, our little Taylor Swift. <laughs> our little Taylor. It's grown up before our eyes. That that to me oddly feels like I don't know like the first time you curse in front of your parents, you just like kind of slide like, it in, slip it in, just yeah. to like see if they'll like scold you about it. Well, and they kind of are taken aback. For a minute, but then they're like, oh no, she's like 27. She's, yeah. She can say words like that. One thing I did want to point out about this song, I was listening, again, Walking My Dogs this morning. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to this album all week, but toward the like middle to end of this song, she sings this phrase, it just felt so good. It just felt so good. The way that she sings this one time, it sounds identical to how Paramore sings it, how Haley Williams sings it for Paramore in Misery Business. And she featured Haley Williams on the song Bag Blood. She was in the music video. So she's very much aware of Paramore. She's a fan of Paramore. Do you really buy into the whole, like, you know, artists stealing or appropriating other artists do you think it's intentional yes and there's another intentional place on this album look what you made me do is basically a copy of not a cotton a full copy but like what you made me do is it uses the I'm too sexy by right said Fred by right said Fred <laughs> song and they asked right said Fred for permission to use that like right oh, said Fred that? has writing credits on oh, that song I didn't know that yeah so they I think more and more producers are recognizing that even if it is a borrowed chord progression yeah. or if it's by accident completely Someone's going to say something, and instead of going to court over it, I think most of them are trying to just bite the bullet beforehand and be like, all right, pay you royalties, we'll do this. Just get out. We're going to use this, though. Well, I think that because it was Marvin Gaye's whole lawsuit against Robin Thicke. Oh, yeah. Blurred lines. The judge awarded the case in the favor of Marvin Gaye's family. And I think that that had a little bit of a chilling effect on the music industry. And I think that this is a ripple that you're seeing of that, where the producers and the record companies are going to be like a little more cautious about that, especially if you're a musician of the height and, you know, level of scrutiny that Taylor Swift would be. So let's move on to the fourth track on Reputation, Don't Blame Me. They say she's gone too far this time. Don't blame me, love made me crazy. If it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. Lord, save me, my drug is my baby. I'll be using for the rest of my life. This is a slinky little tune. It's kind of like a little like bar, like Vegas 
almost like a little bluesy sort of track. I like the like choirs of angels part of it, kind of, but I don't really love this. This yeah, song as I'm a not. Whole. I'm not. I'm not like super into it either. And I think my problem with it is that it feels like it was expressly written to be used in conjunction with like a Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Yes. <laughs> she did do a song in conjunction with the Fifty Shades Grey franchise. I don't want to live forever with um that uh, Zayn Malik guy from ah, One, One Direction. Direction. Yeah. So I think you know I think she got a little taste of that Fifty Shades money. <laughs> It's just her and... That's good money. Yeah, her and big Stephanie Meyer are just <laughs> in cahoots now, maybe. Do we know who this song is about? Um, I, I don't. Don't blame me, love made me crazy. If it doesn't, you ain't doing it right. So love made her crazy. Is this maybe about Calvin Harris? Maybe. I think I, that I think... relationship was probably ending... If I'm getting my timeline right, I think that relationship might have been ending as she was recording this this part of the album but I but I don't know that for sure well I think I did something bad is definitely about Calvin Harris okay because there's so going back to I did something bad there's a line in there um that sort of alludes to Taylor Swift writing a song on Calvin Harris's new album right um and it's sort of like a little jab at um you know like him taking credit for her work or him profiting off of her work type of thing so you know that seems like it's like an anti-Calvin Harris song and then to follow it up with like a pro-Calvin Harris song might be a little bit weird. So I don't know. Don't Blame Me kind of seems like it could generically just be about, you know, like hot dudes. Cool. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about the fifth track, Delicate. Uh, this, I love this song. <laughs> it's it's got to undisputedly be like the best song on this album. With Delicate, it kind of goes from, I don't care what they say about me, with like, ready for it, and I did something bad, to... This song kind of feeling more like, I actually do care if this person that I like will be able to get to know me without my reputation getting in the way. Right, which I think that's a very, you know, relatable emotion. And I think that that's, that might be why I have a hard time getting into some of this album, is that the emotions that she's trying to convey in a lot of the other songs aren't necessarily relatable. This, I think, Delicate shows us, again, what an incredible songwriter she can be and how she can go from that intense facade that of, she wants to put on. or like almost like power yeah. and like invincibility. I, I will say, though, there is one line in this song that does make me cringe. So this, this song contains multitudes. It contains everything that's right about Taylor Swift but also everything that's wrong with this album. It's an emotional thrill ride. I know, right? <laughs> Strap in, buckle up, here we go. Um, so the line is the first line, or one of the first lines in the song, um, this ain't for the best, my reputation's never been worse. And it's like, has your reputa reputation never been worse, Taylor? You're a multi-Grammy winning pop star who's adored by millions and millions of fans you're fine it's projecting a little bit more like dissonance into her life than there needs to be I kind of agree with that and to be fair like compared to the rest of her life yeah like her reputation now is not as squeaky clean as it was when she put out speak now yeah, and, you know, Taylor's always been, like, a little bit extra, but, like, it's, you know, it's always been sort of fun in a way, and this was, this just had, like, an air of seriousness. It's a little too was, heavy. Yeah, it was a little exhausting. One of the things I did want to know about Delicate is the music video. So, yes. the music video is basically of her in this, it looks kind of like a mansion, 
Um, or like an opera hall. Like an opera, yeah, like mm-hmm. an opera house of some kind. And she is she is out front with paparazzi and sort of has this blank stare on her face. And then she's handed like a slip of paper. And once she gets that slip of paper, she is invisible. And mm-hmm. she runs to the opera house. She's in this beautiful dress. She can dance the way that she wants to on top of bars. She can do whatever she wants to because nobody can see her. And eventually, I forget what happens at the end. I think she's just like out in the rain. Oh, yeah. And it's like it's it's like her Shawshank Redemption moment. It is totally a Shawshank Redemption moment. She's Andy Dufresne. Wow. I wonder if that was part of the inspiration. You could draw a parallel between her seeing her fame as a prison, if you will, and like her, she's escaping this fame momentarily, which, you know, I've never been famous. I don't know. It sounds exhausting, but I bet if you're like somebody who's that mega famous, you would want to just be a normal person who could like dance in the rain and nobody would give a shit, you know? Do you remember what Andy Dufresne's (laughs) friend's name was? Red. Red. Whoa! Whoa! Head explodes. Wow. <laughs> Secret fan of Shashi Redemption, Taylor Swift. We just are breaking this news to you live. Whoa. Yeah. How about that? I just realized that. Wow. That might literally be inspiration That's, for her. I'm, I'm, you know, we, we might need to pause this and I'm just going to need to like sit. <laughs> Ryan needs and a minute. <laughs> think about this for an, an hour maybe two hours <laughs> I don't think we have time for that right. but I do want to keep talking about this music video so <laughs> one um one of the controversies surrounding this music video is that it looks very very much like a recent Kenzo fragrance um it's basically a commercial it's almost a music video for Kenzo fragrance fragrance it's filmed by Spike it's Spike it's a Spike Jones Spike Jones not Spike Lee It's not a Spike Lee joint. It's a Spike Jones film. (laughs) Yes. It's the same director as the Fatboy Slim Weapon of Choice video. If you remember that one. Which... With Christopher Walken running around the same kind of upper hall. Which they're all kind of like in that same sort of like one take of the main person dancing sort of erratically in a place where you wouldn't expect someone to do that. If you want to see at home what it looks like, just Google Kenzo, K-E-N-Z-O, Fragrance. Taylor Swift, and it'll come up, and you can kind of see the similarities. So let's move on to Look What You Made Me Do. for my shirt and as I mentioned earlier Wright said Fred received songwriting credit on this song like her producers reached out to them and they were like listen this song is going to sound just like yours mm-hmm. um, good, good for them C- cash those checks Fred. yeah why not Fred <laughs> <laughs> so I think when the song came out I was like oh damn like alright this is how we're going to do things now was it, this the first single that came out it was the first single dramatic tonal shift very dramatic I think overall, it kind of got panned. Like, a lot of people did not like it. Do you think that was because it was too much of a shift from where she was at 1989? I think so. And I think, I think, so this is the first song in the album that we get to that I think is, like, expressly about her celebrity feuds. Either, it, it could, it could either be about the Kanye one or about the Katy Perry. I've heard theories I thought Bad Blood was about Katy Perry. Yeah, but I think this one might be too. Because, you know, it could be a response to Swish Swish, which is a response to Bad Blood. Oh, God. Cut it off already. Yeah, it's it's just, it's exhausting. So let's talk about So It Goes. really like this song I think this is kind of her like sexual awakening in a lot of ways (laughs) the way that she like sings it and the lyrics to it I I'm really into it I like it uh I I think the one lyric that stands out the most to me in those regards 
is come here dressed in black now, so it goes, so it goes. Scratches down your back now. Come here, just in Oh, yeah, Tay. <laughs> She's a saucy little minx. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, get it, girl. Very, very happy for you. <laughs> Congrats on the sex. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about gorgeous. So this is another one of her singles that came out. Do you know who the baby is that says gorgeous at the beginning? Gorgeous. Oh my god. It's I, a baby. Oh, can I guess? Yes. Is it, is it Blue Ivy? Close. It is James Reynolds, Blake Lively, and Ryan Reynolds' daughter. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It they're, does, right? Yeah, they're like part of the squad. Yeah, right? they're like, yeah. Part of like Team Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Not so into gorgeous. I don't I don't love it. I think I think that the lyrics are a little stilted maybe especially you know something like you make me so happy it turns back to sad there's nothing i i hate more than what i can't have you're you're better you're better than that taylor i feel like that too that is quickly followed by one of the other taylor you saucy little minx moments which is you make me so happy it turns back to sad there's nothing i hate more than what i can't have guess i'll just stumble on home to my cats Alone, comma. Unless, unless you, you want to come, come along. along. Make me so happy it turns back to sad. There's nothing I hate more than what I can't have. Guess I'll just stumble on home to my cats. Alone. Unless you want to come along. Which I like. Hey! <laughs> I, I will say, I was listening to Gorgeous last night with some people in a car. And someone thought it was very weird that she used the phrase gorgeous to describe a guy. Guys I, can be gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Yeah. I'm gorgeous. I get it. I get it, yeah. dude. <laughs> Let's talk about getaway car. is about Tom Hiddleston. Okay. Because it actually goes in order the way that she sings it. It starts out with her relationship with Calvin Harris. Mm -hmm. She gets in the getaway car, quote unquote, with Tom mm -hmm. Hiddleston. She's there in the getaway car with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. Then she sings about leaving him in the hotel bar, taking the keys with her, and she goes off on her own. And I think that's a reference to the fact that she and Tom Hiddleston were together for like three months. Was it that short? Yeah. Felt longer. Also, one part of Getaway Car that I did read about and then I listened and agreed with this is that fans believe that Taylor quoted Hillary Duff in Getaway, in Getaway Car. Can you, you remember that name? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> the line, X marks the spot where we fell apart, is basically taken directly from a Hillary Duff song called Breathe In, Breathe Out from 2015. Is that like the direct line? What's the, what's the Hillary Duff line? X marks the spot where we fell apart. <laughs> oh, so it is. It's just lifted. X marks the spot where we left our hearts, and X marks the spot where we fell apart, and X marks the spot where we left our hearts. This could have been, it could have been a coincidence, except that Taylor Swift has publicly praised this song. She loves this song by Hilary <laughs> I think Taylor's intention with this and with the Paramore reference is to do a call, more so a call out to the female musicians that she respects. An homage. I think will. it's more of an homage to the female yeah. musicians that she looks up to and she respects. Not so much, all right, that line's mine now. Yeah. I'm stealing it. I, I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but. I like the theory. I like, mm. the, I like the theory too. Let's talk through King of My Heart. King of My Heart. This is a good song. This is a good song. Yeah. 
I wasn't expecting this song. I wasn't expecting to like it, really. Um, but I, I listened to an interview she did with iHeartRadio when this album first came out. And Taylor said that this song is about that moment you have after you've been in a relationship with someone for a while and you have to decide what the next step is. And this song is very much about her new beau. Yes. Right? Joe. Joe. Joe, Joe Alwyn. Joe Alwyn? Yes. Sounds like a loser. Yeah, I'm sorry, Ryan, but they've been together a while. He's super cute. He's British. Uh, I know. Ryan's really heartbroken. It's okay. <laughs> but she says, um, Taylor tells iHeartRadio, everybody has a different story with how they connect with someone else. And what I find interesting are the moments where it switches, because you always hope that that switch is going to move you forward and not backward. But it can happen either way. So the song is actually structured like a relationship. The verse pre-chorus and chorus are all a specific phase of a romantic relationship and the song if you listen to it gets deeper and like more fast-paced more intense by the time the song is over do relationships do that though i feel like it's the opposite though relationships always start off like very hot and heavy and then they kind of like temper out this is also coming from someone who has not been in a relationship in a very long time no i think there's definitely merit to that but you almost feel like it's almost like she's making the conscious effort to approach a relationship a little more reserved at the beginning okay. and then let it build up because she knows something good is, is ahead. I see. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't, don't quote me on that, but I feel like that's, that's kind of the impression that I get from this song. And I think the, I think that there's also something in there about Joe being sort of more laid back than her past. Yes. There's, like, lines to about, like, all the other boys and their expensive cars, their Range Rovers and their Jaguars. 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 Tom Hiddleston has a Range Rover and, like, Calvin Harris has a Jaguar. Yeah. And so that's, like, at the beginning of the song, so it sort of, like, introduces him and, you know, why she might be attracted to someone who is different than what she's had in the past. The next song is Dancing With Our Hands Tied, which... I really love this song. Do you? I think it's beautiful. I hated the chorus when I first heard it. It like... I think just totally kills the momentum of the song. And I know that they're like, they're trying something new and it's, you know, it's, a, you know, going against the grain of what you would expect. And a lot of times that can be very interesting in music. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten, I've warmed up to it a little bit more in the, in the time that I've listened to it like multiple times, but it's still to me just kind of, it's, they tried something new and I just don't think it worked. I respect that. Yeah. I kind of feel, I, I I disagree just because I feel like I can envision them dancing. It starts out like fast paced and kind of do, 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 like kind of bouncy. Mm -hmm. And then the chorus is, but we were dancing with our hands tied, with our hands tied. And you can kind of imagine the two of them, whoever she's singing this about, mm -hmm. I assume, I assume it's Joe because she, you know, dancing with our hands tied seems like this is awesome, this relationship that we're in, but there are other factors at play here that you, we're not ready for yet. And you have to be a little more reserved exactly. in the public eye and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I just, I can kind of like see it in my head, which is something that I really like. It kind of paints a picture for me. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good way of thinking about things. I don't think I'd ever thought about it quite in those terms, but I guess I kind of like that. And the dynamics of the song change to mirror the dynamics of the lyrics. I kind of, all right, I dig that. You talked me into it. <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact about Dancing With Our Hands Tied is that it was actually co-written by songwriter Oscar Holter, who co-wrote Bon Appetit for Katy Perry oh. for her latest album. Drama. Drama. Speaking of people that have <laughs> That dated John Mayer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, John Mayer, you said? Oh, yeah, John Mayer. Uh, so if you're into drawing more parallels between Taylor Swift and other people. Always. Dancing with our hands tied to 
Slow Dancing in a Burning Room, John Mayer's hit from, I think, Continuum. I love that song. It's a great song. It is beautiful. Yes. And actually, in this song, in Taylor's song, she talks about in the bridge, if I could dance with you all night, swaying as the lights went out, swaying as the room burned down, hold I, you till I, the water. Correct me if I'm yeah, wrong on that, actually. Oh, and pull it, I pulled it up. It's, I'd kiss you as the lights went, went out, swaying as the room burned down. Interesting. Are we having feelings for John Mayer again? Whoa. Wow. What if? Let's move on to dress. Say my name and everything just stops. I don't want you like a best friend. Only about this dress so you could take it off. Take it off. Ha, ha, ha. Carve your name into my uh. A lot of people like this song. I feel like you would probably like this song. So sexy. I don't like this song. No? I feel like more reserve for her is sexier. And this is a little too, like, it's... I want to be naked in front of you. Like, that. <laughs> kind of, like, I, don't, I don't like that. You see, I think, I think that this definitely toes a line. And I come down on the side that, like, nah, I'm still into it. It's not, it's not off-putting to me. Okay. I respect that. I'm, I'm here for it. Let's talk about this is why we can't have nice things. I'm shaking my head. Unlocking the gates. This is why we can't have nice things. Because you break them, I had to take them away. This is why we can't have nice things. I just have written down this is a Lord song. So, this literally just sounds yeah. like a song that was written for Lord, but didn't make it on a Lord album. Kind of. Well, so this song is probably the one that's most expressly about the Kanye drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the lyrics are not at all, like, trying to hide that. No. <laughs> it was so nice being friends again. There I was giving you a second chance, but you stabbed me in the back while shaking my head. And there Friends don't try to trick you, get you on the phone and mind twist you. And so I took an axe to amend The nice things, this is what we can't have nice things. Nice things being friendship. letting people into your life, having friendships, yeah. respect. Yeah. Yeah. And the assumption of the song is essentially that Kanye West and Kim Kardashian betrayed her trust and you know, they ruined it, and that's why they can't have nice things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think that what draws me back to the song the most is that it's just catchy as hell. I think I think it's probably one of the one of the better songs from a purely like musical standpoint on this album. Let's talk about Call It What You Want. This is another one of my favorite songs. They took the crown, but it's alright. All the liars are calling me one. Nobody's heard from me for months. I'm doing better than I ever was. Cause my baby's fit like a daydream, walking with his head down. I'm the one he's walking to. I really like it. Yeah? I feel like it's a really refreshing change of pace for me after this whole like tough girl vibe. Mm hmm. She curates this whole tough girl vibe at the beginning of the album, and now she's finally like, all right, like, I have Joe. I don't care anymore. I yeah. just want to concentrate on this. The relationship is much too important to let anything else in. Yeah. And I, I like that tone of it. Um, and I just think it's a pretty song. It's a good song. It's not one that stands out to me, necessarily. I don't know why that is. Okay. I think I think it's... Honestly, I think it's there's one line in there that makes me cringe. What is it? <laughs> it is, I'm laughing with my lover, making forts under covers, trust him like a brother. Yeah, you know I did one thing right. It's it's that going is cringy. It's, it's going straight from lover and they're like in bed and then it's like oh and he's like my brother. It's like, that's Ugh. like that's like something you say to somebody who you want a friend zone. Yeah, you're like a brother to me. Right. All right, let's talk about the last track in the album, New Year's Day. Uh, this, this, uh, I love this song. Girls carrying the shoes down in the lobby. Candle wax and Polaroids on the hardwood floor. You and me from the night before, but 
hand and you're turning away I want your midnights But I'll be cleaning up bottles with you on New Year's Day I think it's really sweet. I mean, I mean, the whole song is stripped down and it's, you know, all about that sort of like small moment in a relationship that really makes you cherish it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's conveyed so very well in this song. And that to me is like the heart of what makes Taylor Swift a good songwriter. The party's over and, you know, things are winding down and everybody's left and it's just us two now. And it's, you know, it's appreciative of having somebody to clean up with yeah because it's like such a menial thing and somebody to help you with your hangover yeah and like bring you breakfast and having the support of someone else not just helping you clean up after new year's day but somebody to support you in the resolution that you made or the way that you want to change as a person or the way that you want to build your relationship with that person you just you look over at the person and You know that they're always going to be there picking up bottles with you and, like, helping you reach your goals. And singing Neutral Milk Hotel songs to piss (sighs) you off. Singing Neutral Milk Hotel songs (laughs) to piss me off. God bless. I still love him. (laughs) Of course, talking about Justine's very uh, sweet husband. He is very sweet. DJ. Yes. Who is a good friend of mine as well. Well, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about the album cover really quick. Now that we've gotten through yes. the songs, I want to talk about the album art. The picture of Taylor was shot by um, a fashion photographer duo called Mert and Marcus, and they are they're well known in the fashion industry for primarily photographing strong, powerful women. I think the picture of her is really cool. Yeah, I like it, but I don't think everybody really liked this cover. So her face yeah. is featured along headlines and a news in like newspaper print that just repeatedly says Taylor Swift in the text. Yes. Um, This is obviously a reference to endless headlines about her in recent years. And also have you looked into any sort of, there's like parallels between that and the cover of life of Pablo. Yes. And the Yeezy font. It's like this Gothic font Mm -hmm. that's on his clothes. Yep. Um, Yes. I have seen that. And so for people who would be listening, who might not necessarily remember the Life of Pablo cover also has the Life of Pablo repeated. repeated ad nauseum. I believe that her face has been on every album cover. Is that correct? It is, yes. Or at least partial well, face. Well, yeah, her, her face on is like red, cut her off. hat is like, it's, there's like shade on her face because of her mm-hmm. hat, I think. And then 1989, the top of her head is cut off. Yeah. But you can see, but her, she is featured, her face is featured somehow on every album. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. Do Because, I mean, artists obviously have a choice and what their album cover is. Do you think it's conceited to put yourself on the album cover? I don't think it's conceited. I just think it's not creative. Yeah. I I will say I don't, I don't love this photo from a purely photographic standpoint. Actually. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause you are a professional photographer. I am. And this is, this is so getting back to putting yourself on the album cover. I think that there are ways to do it that could be creative. And I think that there are ways that, to do it that could be, you know, like you could have a really beautiful photograph. And I think that this one is just mm, like a little blase maybe. Okay. You know, it's just like, it's got the one, it's just like one light on white seamless. I don't think it's like anything special. I think a lot of the photographers work the photography duo that shot this. I think a lot of their work looks like this. Yeah, and you know, not, so it's all not about to... changing the. I mean, it's it's all about who she hired. Yeah, and you know, not to take away from the photographers or anything, because like I've taken a million photos that are like very simple. And, yeah, you know, sometimes you know, simple photos are a great way of conveying a message and stuff. I just, I don't know this this particular one just like doesn't really do it for me. I mean, it's, you know, borderline iconic now. I've looked at it so much. Right. <laughs> and there, there's also this whole idea that, like, the more and more you see an image, the more, like, you perceive it as a good image. That's how I feel about how, how I listen to Taylor Swift. Like, the more I listen to Taylor Swift, yeah. especially the more I listen to Reputation, I liked it more. Yeah. I didn't like it when I first listened to it. And now I'm like, oh, okay. 
Yeah. All right. Some of the songs I'm still, I'm not into, but no, I think that she just has that effect in general. Like, yeah. and it's not a negative thing. It's just, she's really good at being Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many times she uses the word reputation on this album? I counted. Big reputation. Big reputation. Ooh, you and me, we got a big reputation. That's like four times right there or something. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go with like 15. 16. Okay, wow. So close. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and they're all used in Delicate and Endgame. I was going to say, I was trying to think of another song. My reputation's never been worse. She, released, she repeats that a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. She used the word reputation 16 times on this album. Hmm. Think she's trying to get a message across? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Reputation, I think I know the answer to this, but is Reputation the best album by Taylor Swift? Hell no. Hell no. Okay, what is? Um, I think my personal favorite is 1989, but it is a toss-up between 1989 and Speak Now. I thought you were going to say Red. Uh, yeah, yeah, Red, nah, I'm not like too keen on Red. I'd put Reputation and Red right about at the same level. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I, if I had to go through, <laughs> um, might as well. Speak Now, 1989, Fearless, Reputation, debut album, then Red. Red is last. Yeah. Oh. But it, but it's like pretty, it's, it's pretty tight at the bottom and it's pretty tight at the top. So you just really like Taylor Swift is what you're trying to say. Yeah, pretty much. Got it. <laughs> well, thank you, Ryan, for joining me on Radio Gaga today. Yes, this is a delightful discussion. A pleasure. Until next time. Thanks for joining me today. The Radio Gaga podcast comes out weekly, so be sure to subscribe and look out for next week's episode. The album you'll hear about next week is American Beauty by The Grateful Dead. Before I started researching for this episode, I had a very basic knowledge of The Grateful Dead. I knew about Jerry Garcia, some of the more well-known logos like The Colorful Bears, and I knew some of The Grateful Dead's more popular songs. But you guys, I had no idea how much more I would learn. My guest next week is John McNamara, a deadhead who grew up listening to the band in the 70s and has been to more than 100 Grateful Dead shows in his lifetime. We talk all about American Beauty. He shares some parking lot stories with me. I can't wait to share this one with you guys. Whether you're a deadhead or not, I think you're going to like this episode. So give American Beauty a listen this week and tune in again next Tuesday. Until then, you can visit RadioGagaBlog.com for more album reviews and follow me at RadioGagaBlog on Instagram. See you back here next week.